Welcome back. I'm Tom Parrish, and this podcast is a brief conversation with Patrick Inhofer about a collection of insights for color grading log-recorded files. I also asked Patrick to talk about the MixingLight.com website and how that's been coming along this last year. All right, now hang in here with me two more minutes to finish the setup. In this show, I mention a number of times the insights I've learned from Alistair Chapman, who is a well-known DP from the United Kingdom. He's also known here in the United States as a storm chaser. And he guides small groups of photographers to Norway to record the Aurora Borealis, all in 4K. All right, understanding how and why log-recorded files are captured and how you grade them efficiently has been a learning experience for me. Truth is, I imagine that's that way for most colorists at some point in their career. You know the promises there for crafting a unique look with log-recorded files, but the journey toward the result can be frustrating and rewarding. Over the last few months, I've had a number of filmmakers bring me projects shot with log-recorded video, in particular from Canon and RED cameras. Overall, I like the end result I was getting for looks in each scene, but the amount of time it was taking to craft a consistent look from scene to scene felt very hit and miss at times. We all learn quickly enough that the recommended reversing LUT for each camera manufacturer is only a starting point. All too often you apply the LUT in a node or a layer and the result is just an outlandishly out of whack look. It's not plug and play solution at all, despite the promise. Part of the answer for me was simply spending more time understanding how and why DPs expose log recorded files and can at times be slightly off or maybe way off. In fact, these are the insights I'm talking about from Alistair Chapman, and I include links to his rather passionate pleas for DPs to read his suggestions at his website. I attended a seminar with him recently where he set up and showed the entire workflow from capture to color editing and showed exactly how and why DPs are at times setting exposures the way they learn for traditional capture versus log encoded capture. With log-encoded files, you expose more to the left in the histogram versus the right. The other answers I've had recently were taken from a detailed review of some of the chapters in Alex Van Herkman's Color Correction Handbook, 2nd Edition, and finally seeing the six how-to videos produced at MixingLight.com by Patrick Enhofer. So back to Patrick. I'm very happy to have you again here, Patrick. Hello, Tom. Hey there, Patrick. So tell us, what has been your experiences with DPs and log recorded files? And then we'll get into tutorials and other insights. Sure. In my experience with a lot of the DPs I've worked with, I get one of two experiences. One is they're all over the place. So they're not necessarily setting exposure anywhere. They're just kind of looking at the image on the camera. Do I seem to have a decent looking exposure? Great. Let's shoot which means sometimes when it gets to me, it's a little overexposed or sometimes it's a little underexposed, changes from scene to scene. And then I get DPs who really do place the exposure consistently at one point, uh, you know, in the exposure range. And so when I apply a lookup table, uh, I tend to get the same result on most of their work. Uh, That doesn't mean that I just apply one lot and it's a way we go. It's, it's like trying to say, well, why can't I apply one grade to my entire film? Right, right. Like, why can't I just save off one grade and it works on everything? Well, the answer is because the footage keeps on changing, uh, time of day changes, light changes. So even if, you're, even if your DP sets the exposure correctly, he might have set it under direct sunlight 
And by the time you get to take four, the clouds have rolled in. Fair enough. No one's going to stop to to relight, you know, so you've got to make some slight modifications. Um, so that's number one in terms of why can't I use just one LUT and have it work? Uh, and number two is LUTs tend to be built expecting that your middle exposure is at a particular place on on the uh, on the brightness scale. And... And so not only do you have to get your exposure consistent for the LUT to perfectly do its job, you have to put it exactly right. where that LUT wants it. And if it doesn't, it's going to either make everything too dark or tend to overexpose things. And it's I don't think it's realistic to assume that any DP anywhere is going to be able to consistently hit that magic spot all the time. Let me add into that. So one of the points that Alistair makes is that when the DP is looking at a reference monitor at this log file coming, I mean, this log encoded uh, exposure coming off the camera, is that it can look really, really dark if it's set at the right exposure level. And he says, you just got to learn to trust that. It's it's the monitor that's wrong because the monitor set up for Rec. 709 and these five levels of, uh, of of exposure that you can have it's it's not the exposure itself that's dark and they'll see that it's dark and they'll go oh that doesn't look right so they'll push it up but then that's pushing it up the curve which tends to overemphasize the highlights once you get it. yeah it, it's it, it's funny because uh, i'm not a dp and i'm never on set i'm not like one of these colorists in the video village yeah. Well, neither am I. It's just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I, I do know that you have more and more monitors that are now shipping with built-in LUTs. So you could load a LUT into the monitor. Some of them even have, uh, like FSI, I've been noticing on the latest version of their firmwares, they're starting to pull up um, RE, kind of the RE generic RE LUT. That kind of gets built right into the into the monitor. So there are ways that you can go about checking this stuff live on set. And it's true. I mean, it, it never ceases to amaze me. To me, it's not so much that when it's properly exposed that it looks so dark. It It's just that it just looks so <laughs> lifeless. Um, yeah. And that's what I get out of it. You know, when I look at something, whether, you know, even if it's properly exposed, when you look at that log recorded image, there's just no life to it. There's no detail. There's no contouring. Yeah. You can't. You know, and, and I just don't know how people make evaluations off of that. I mean, because it's not designed to be looked at that way. That's just not what it's designed. It's not designed to look at that image and make an evaluation on that image. Well, that's right. It wasn't designed to be looked at that way. And I just kept wanting to understand why. Why did the images look like that? And now I have a sense of from my sort of learned insight here is that modern camera sensors can capture up to 14 steps of exposure. That's becoming more and more common with these higher-end cameras. But your Rec. 709 monitors, as you said, however, the Rec. 709 calibrated monitors that we typically grade on show maybe six steps of exposure. And if you're on set, yes, you uh, the newer monitors have a way of reversing that out for you. But it's still, I was just trying to understand why it worked that way. So when you look at a file log file on your monitor, you know why does it look flat and or compressed or dark in some cases? It's a tricky issue to deal with during production, I'm sure, as well as grading. I, I would think. I mean, if I was on set, I, I don't know how I could make decisions just looking at the log recorded image. I'd think you'd have to expand it out using something, whether you're using a pre-built LUT or you're running it through Resolve Live and grading right. it to get the look you want and then saving that off. I mean, whatever it is you're doing, 
Um, I, I got to imagine you've got to expand out that contrast somehow. Well, what Alistair said, which he kept reemphasizing was, guys, to some degree, you're just going to have to trust your exposure. So I'm talking about the DP guys here or girls, depending on who it is. But but the point is you have to trust that you know what you're doing, that you've made the appropriate adjustments, that you've looked at the Canon log specifications and you found out where 18% gray is supposed to be. It's not at 50, it's like 32 or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And you do the same for the red. And then you just have to trust that unless you have a, yeah. like a perfect monitor that zeroes it out. But part of what got me curious about this, is this year of all the articles that I've done on my site, the one that continues to get the most traffic every week is this one on Canon log file experience that I had with the historian movie I did. Right. And I was like, yeah, it's always kind of interesting looking at the metrics because that's been months now since I, I, and it's like, it keeps coming up, it keeps coming up. So I'm thinking this is an issue everyone has. Okay. Well, so the other thing I wanted to um, talk about briefly was mixing light. I think it's coming around on a one year uh, anniversary. Is that right? It depends on how you measure anniversaries. <laughs> uh, it's We are at one year in terms of when we formed the company. Okay, uh, yeah. So we formed Mixing Light LLC. I, I would say it was probably exactly almost one year ago yeah, right now in December. Mm -hmm. um, we launched in April. Uh, so in terms of the actual going public, it's been, what, eight months or something like that? It feels like a year. But we just hit a huge milestone for ourselves. We just hit 100 tutorials in the insights library. Yeah. So we started with 20, I think it was 20 or 25 when we launched in April. And, uh, and right now, mid December, 2013, we just passed a hundred. Um, and we're in our, our holiday marathon right now. So we're releasing, <laughs> I noticed. we're releasing uh, 20 tutorials in 20 days. Uh, so by the time December rolls out, we'll be at about 110. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, um, you know, we, we made a promise to our members that we'd keep delivering you content, and uh, so far we seem to be able to do it. Oh, I, you have, and uh, that's part of what I wanted to say is that you've you've responded to questions that I've had, and other people have too. You know, I was in uh, been confused in the past about scene detect and what do you do with fades and things. It's like conceptually, I knew what to do, but I'm just one of these has to see it. And in five minutes, you said, "Hey, look, here's what you do. Boom, you got it." You know, it's like that's been replicated for me with a dozen different little topics that have helped tweak my understanding of color grading, speed things up. I'm curious, what's it been like working with the other two? This is odd to me, kind of, to, and it's great to see three very high-end professional colorists all working together, sharing knowledge like this. That's freaking fantastic. Um, not only that, I mean, we're all colorists day to day. Yeah. And, but we also have skill sets that feed into this, other varied skill sets. You know, Robbie is a, very experienced trainer. I mean, he's been doing it for a decade. Uh, certified as a master trainer on like Premiere and Final Cut. Uh, so, you know, he knows his NLEs. Uh, he knows his software. He knows how to teach this stuff. Mm -hmm. Dan, besides being a great colorist, is also surprisingly really good on like um, on the WordPress side of stuff as well. And then I have a lot of experience with WordPress. Right. And so the amazing thing that I've learned through the past year is the power of collaboration, our ability to come up and decide to do something. Mm -hmm. And what would have normally taken me, uh, you know, two or three days to get done, between the three of us, we can execute in six hours. I mean, we've literally <laughs> had days where we get on a conference call Saturday morning and say, hey, isn't this a great idea? And it is, but it's a lot of work. Yeah, I know. And there's like the WordPress side, there's the writing oh, side, there's the, the tutorial side. And... 
and the recording and the editing and what normally what on any by any right should have taken a week to turn around takes a day and we're off to the next thing and i could not have gotten anywhere near i mean i always knew i always wanted to do a membership site um, a monthly membership site where we were continually churning out content and you know this this experience has proven to me what i always knew which is i couldn't do it myself it requires a team and that's what we've got as a team and it's great i mean uh you know we have regular conference calls uh, we have a stand a standing Wednesday call, and uh, we had back in October we had our mixing light summit. Dan Moran from London flew out to DC. I went down to DC. We spent uh, three or four days uh, just kind of getting together, hanging out. We never all really hung out for a while, um, you know, talking about the future, uh, talking about the past, and starting to lay out a roadmap for ourselves. Well, where do you see twenty fourteen going for mixing light? Uh, a little bit more of the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're striving to create more consistency. One of the things we really need to work on, uh, and we'd all agreed to this in October, and we haven't fully executed it yet, is uh, staying in constant communication with our members. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's one place we think we fall apart, it's letting people know what we've put up. You know, I mean, we're putting out, churning out constantly a variety of different tutorials on a lot of different subjects. Um, you know, they're one thought ideas and, and, you know, I, I'm worried that we've got a lot of members who just don't realize what we've been doing. And so, uh, we're work- looking at ways of automating that communication a little bit mm-hmm. so that like every time, you know, through our RSS feed, every time there's three new articles up, uh, you know, our email provider just automatically sends out to all the members, right. Hey, here are the latest three articles that just went up in the insights library, that type of thing. Um, as well as a monthly uh, email, things like that. So that's one of our big goals for 2014 is to communicate more consistently with our members. I think you're going to start seeing maybe sooner rather than later uh, <laughs> some of us uh, doing some sort of like Google Hangout thing. Oh, excellent. Um, sort of like a, the mailbag mm-hmm. except live. Right, 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 right. Where we'll just go on and uh, hang out for an hour. And we'll just chat. I mean, I, I half the time I wish I could record our conference calls. Oh, because they're just so good. Yeah, the chatter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll spend an hour. We'll spend a half hour just talking about this one feature in Resolve we all discovered simultaneously and independently, and we start talking about, oh, you're doing it that way. Oh, I'm doing it this way, and we go back and forth that type of thing. All right. Well, Patrick, thank you so much. I just want to keep this short and sweet to two points here. One with the mixing light, of course, updates on that. It's been a great resource for me. The other one is just to encourage people, if you're on mixing light, if you haven't checked out the whole series on LUT, LUT management creation, reverse engineering, and all this, do so. And on the show notes in this podcast, I'm going to put a number of links to Alistair Chapman's website. Uh, I've been post reposting his uh, blog articles he's done this year on this whole topic of what the DP needs to know with regards to setting exposure properly for log-based uh, recordings, even raw-based uh, raw recordings, too. There's some issues there that need yeah, to be Yeah, they're very similar. I mean, you know, the difference between log and raw, I mean, it's all kind of, it's two different ways of getting to the same thing. Yeah. And, and, the, and the technique and workflow on the post side in the color grading realm uh, you almost deal with them both exactly the same way. Yeah. Uh, and another resource I would point you to, uh, the second edition of Lexus Van Herkman's right. um, Color Correction Thank Handbook. You. Yeah. You know, he told me a couple months ago, he's like, yeah, I've got some new stuff in there on on the log color grading tools in uh, and, and the history of them. And so I just read it the other day, finally. 
and great, great stuff in there. And this stuff applies to working with Lutz. In chapter two, he talks, uh, yeah, it's chapter three. Yeah, was it chapter three that he's got? I think it's chapter three yeah. where he talks about um, working with log recorded material. Uh-huh. And he shows you like a node structure of order of operations. It works for raw as well as log recorded material. And then I think it's in a later chapter five, I think it is, where he talks about the history of those log grading tools oh, um, and okay. some additional ideas and workflows. And uh, and it, it, it's a lot of fun to read because I've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time, kind of doing it the way he talks about it. I just didn't know why. <laughs> and yeah. as you know, and so he does a great job of explaining the why. So I strongly encourage you, if, if this conversation is the least bit interesting, uh, then you know, making that one-time investment in his book is a great investment to make. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to put a link on there. I've got that book now. So we're that's it. All right. So so happy holidays to everyone. I think a lot of the people that listen to this, uh, hopefully, we'll be seeing each other uh, at NAB coming up in a few months. Yeah, it's it's that, it's coming that, up. Now. That time again, it's going to be very it exciting. Is. I think this year with uh, 4K slowly but surely kind of moving into its own. You know. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very very much, Patrick. Oh, you're very welcome, Tom. A great pleasure. Okay, hang on. Don't go away yet. I asked Patrick one more question after the fact with regards to what's next with the Bloody Cuts tutorials. Mother Died is going to be the project from Bloody Cuts. And it's all interiors. It's all like beauty stuff. And so shot on a red Epic. And what I want to do is use the Film Convert plugin for Resolve 10. Because what Film Convert does is it'll take, it'll say, okay, you're starting from Red Epic, Red Log Film, right? That's your starting point, which is a nice flat log style image. Now, normally then you just use your normal grading controls to make it look good. Well, what I'm going to do is Film Convert has profiled the Red Epic and has different settings for some of the different starting points, including Red Log Film. It says, all right, we're going to go from Red Log Film to Rec 709. And here is essentially the built-in LUT we have to get you there. And then we can also get you from there to a particular looking film stock. And what I'm going to end up doing is fine. And they do, and it really does a really nice job. I've been really impressed, especially with the mother died stuff. So what I'm going to end up doing is using film convert to help me establish the transform from red log film to rec 709 with the hot, with the, the shoulder and knee that I want. And then I'm going to save that out as a LUT. And then so that I don't have to run the plugin on top of all the red stuff, just saving it out as a LUT and then working underneath that LUT should do exactly what I want it to do. should be very quick. And then if people don't want to buy the the plugin, they don't have to. I'll give them the LUT because for the rest of the film, I'm just working off the LUT. And then my last step will be to add some film grain using Film Convert at the very end. But um, I think that's what I'm going to do. 